What's going on, Dolphins fans? And welcome to another episode of the Scouting Combine. Alongside your host, Brandon Ligori, a great friend of mine. You know, as always, I, I always like, to, like, like to, to refer to him as the guy that I pretty much graduated high, high school with, which was almost four years ago, Usam Patel. Usam, how's everything going, buddy? What's up, my high school buddy? Um, I guess, I think you were a Charger starter too, right? Yeah. Oh, my God, great. yeah. Kindergarten, which I probably man, we're 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 talking like 2005 here. We're talking oh, like yeah. 20 years. Oh yeah, man, charter starters, right here. And speaking of a great friend of mine, today we're bringing on a special guest, Ryan Roberts of Rise and Draft. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm good, guys. You made me feel a little old talking about you know you graduated high school four years ago, but I'm good otherwise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan, how's uh, everything with the family and everything else? Everything's good. Everything's good. I have uh, the week off here, so just, you know, just trying to get some things done around the house, spend time with the baby. Everything's all good. Thank you for asking. Well, of course, let's get right into it. So this is going to be our third episode of the Pro Day Circuit. Let's start off with the Tigers down in Louisiana. Now, there's no doubt that whoever drafts Jamar Chase will be getting a stud. He could go in the first round, maybe even number five to Cincinnati, and no one would even question the pick. But while, you know, all the attention is on Jamar Chase, there's another Tiger wide receiver that could end up being the biggest steal of the draft. Could Terrace Marshall Jr. be the steal of the draft, Ryan? Uh, I mean, I I guess he can be relative to expectation because he's a guy that actually, if there's somebody that really benefited from Jamar Chase opting out, it's it's him in that Tiger offense because LSU did struggle a bit. Miles Brennan got a little banged up. They had a couple freshman quarterbacks playing. And you went into the year, Terrace Marshall in 2019 was actually leading all of college football in touchdown receptions before he got injured halfway through the season. And then, you know, he kind of ended the year, you know, just kind of banked up. So there was a lot of expectation for him moving into number one role. And what you knew about Terrace was this kid is six foot three, four, three, four, four speed. Like he's got all the intangibles when you look like you're like, okay, that's a vertical element to a passing game. That's going to play X, Y receiver. He's going to be able to win one-on-one coverage on the outside. Fortunately for him, Chase not being there allowed him to play more in the slot at Z all over the formation, which really developed his route running ability. So I think that what he's done this year is probably one of the biggest risers of the wide receiver group because he is now looked at as a potential multi-level threat. If he went in the first round, I don't think anybody would blink an eye, at least the end of the first round. And I think a team like the Baltimore Ravens sitting there at 20 something would be, a great option because they need that kind of longer receiver who has the ability to win at multiple levels. I think that that Terrace Marshall relative to maybe people somewhat still underrating him for playing on an offense that had Jamar Chase in 2019 and Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and all these guys. I think he could be a steal definitely relative to where some people might rate him right now. And as you said, that last year, he really, you know, brushed up on his tools and especially his route running, you know, in college, there's not really a lot of focus in route running. And, you know, these guys just, you know, catch the ball and run and make plays wherever they can. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, the big question was what kind of weight would Tyler Shelvin be at? Now, he weighed in at 350 pounds, which was his playing weight during the 2019 season. Shelvin has said that his focus was improving his pass rush technique and had this message to NFL teams. Will that 350 pounds be a problem at the NFL level? 
if, if you're trying to sell yourself as a three down player who has pass rush potential, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a problem because he's not the longest athlete in the world, right? Like he's, he's carries his weight. He's a nose guard build. He, he is very, he, I mean, he's shaped like a pear. I mean, to be as nice as I can about it, right? Like we're talking about body typing and stuff, right? So can he be a good player on first to second down, maybe in an odd man front playing that traditional zero head right ahead over the, the center in the, in the vein of a Vince Wolfork? I think he can. Can he play in a 4-3 and be a one-tech strictly? I think he can. But you're, you're trying to sell me that you have high pass rush potential when you didn't have a sack in 2019, and then you showed up, again, 350 pounds. Like, it's just not his repertoire. He's pretty quick for his size, which makes him a, a very difficult player to handle in the run game. He'll split a gap unexpectedly out of nowhere from time to time, which will kind of take you off guard and make you dream of potential. But I just don't think that his – body type and his play style is a good indicator that there will be much success on obvious passing down to the next level. And obviously, you know, he can eat up blocks at the zero and maybe even the one technique. And he certainly showed that on film as well. Um, as we move to the linebacker core, Jabril Cox's pass coverage skills impressed scouts in his only season at LSU after transferring from FCS powerhouse, North Dakota state, the, the Bisons. I mean, they're, that's a great FCS team and great developmental coaches as well. Um, you know, he's six, three, 232 pounds, and he followed it up with a strong practice week at the senior bill. Could he be a, a Mike at the next level? It's a little, it's a little tough just because, so when he was at North Dakota state, he actually played Sam. So he was flexed out on slot receivers a ton. He was playing in space. He was the coverage linebacker, went to LSU, played a little Mike played some will kind of rotated inside a little bit. I mean, it's an easy translation to look at him and say on the next level, you are going to be an asset in passing downs. But the problem with Mike is, although it is a much higher passing league as far as volume than it used to be, you still need to be able to read a guard, get downhill, fill a gap, you know, have good eyes, good trigger. Like that stuff still still matters at that position. So if you ask me what position I think he's going to play, I think the best option for him is one, you're either you're a sandbacker on early down so you can play in space and then maybe on obvious passing situations or on, you know, situations where you're just feeling comfortable put him in at will, let him chase from the backside in pursuits. I feel like that's probably better than him playing Mike because I think that he might get eaten up at the point of attack a little bit. Now, the Sam backer has slowly been disappearing from traditional um, defensive teams. What team could possibly use Cox's skills? Well, I, I mean, I, I guess the, the team that media pops out is the Seattle Seahawks because they're the only – I think they were the only team last year that played base defense over 50% of the time, right? So, like, they're keeping a Sam on the field. Um, I think a New England Patriots style might like him to a degree. So, a Miami Dolphins, a Detroit Lions, um, you know, those types of teams do make sense because they are going to play Sam at least early downs. But you are correct. The problem is that that Sam backer is now being – taken out of the football game and they're putting a nickel. And so you're only playing two linebacker sets a ton. So it's a little tough of a transition. That's why I think that for him to be able to be a player that can rotate between Sam and will is most advantageous. But to answer your question, I feel like those new England Patriots style defenses with the roots there or the Seattle Seahawks in the vein of a KJ Wright make the most sense. Now uh, we're moving on from Tiger Country on to Gatorland in Gainesville. Brandon, my Gators fan, take it away. Yeah, so this UF Pro Day was obviously dom dominated by a name that I'm sure both of you guys are very familiar with, 
tight end Kyle Pitts, right? His 40-yard time was 4-4-4. And I think, honestly, for a tight end, that is absolutely outstanding. Ryan, I want to ask you, let's say the Dolphins, you know, they have two first-round picks, right? They have picked at number six and picked at number 18. I don't, I don't see Kyle Pitts obviously falling all the way to 18. So if the Dolphins, let's say, were able to grab Pitts at, at number six, how would he fit well? Because remember, Mike Kosicki, Mike Miami's main tight end target, who pretty much blossomed after Adam Daystraff fired, right? So now you factor in now Kyle Pitts and Mike Kosicki. How do you see that two tight end group working out if the Dolphins do select Pitts in 23 days? Yeah, well, I, I feel the minute that Miami traded back up after trading down, they were they were going to put their their um, hat in the ring to get the best pass catcher there, whether that is a Jamar Chase, a Kyle Pitts, or maybe even a Jalen Waddle, depending on how the board falls. How Pitts fits? I mean, for me, this player that you can call generational, right? Like you can call this kid the best tight end to come out in some time. You can call him a difference maker. I think it make it fit. Like it's 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 a little bit of a funky one because like Mike Kosicki's a little bit of the same mold, right? Like he is a seam buster. He's an athletic guy. He's not going to block a ton, but I think what, what Kyle Pitts brings to you is you want to throw him at X, go ahead. You want to throw him at Z, you want to play him in the slot. I feel like him and, and Mike Kosicki can coexist. And I feel like a lot of people really start to question themselves because they're like, Oh, you know, we, we shouldn't take him because he doesn't fit exactly. We have a player in this spot. When, when, you, when you're the Miami Dolphins who are close to being a Super Bowl contending team, like they just went 10 and six, like they're on the right path. You need to look at that and say, like, we need to take the best player available. We need to take a difference maker. Don't, don't pigeonhole yourself into drinking a wide receiver just because you have Mike Kosicki. Get Mike Kosicki, get Kyle Pitts, and then make it work. Correct. And, you know, you factor in now, let's say if the Dolphins at pick number six, let's say Kyle Pitts and a Jalen Waddle, right? let's say they're both still on the uh, board. If you were, if you were Brian Flores and if you were Chris Greer, which, which, and you only have, let's say, you know, each pitch is roughly around five, four, four minutes. Which player are you, are you going to take and why? Uh, Brandon, it's so tough, man, because I'm actually a big Jalen Waddle guy. Like if, if they took Jalen Waddle at six, I'd be like, I get it. Cause that's what Miami needs. They have the skyscrapers outside. They have Preston Williams. They have Devontae Parker. They need a guy that can separate and that has speed, and that's Jalen Waddle. But in that scenario where you have Kyle Pitts still on the board, like it's hard for me to pass up on a guy that is a top three player on my board. Like this kid is one of the best in the draft. So I, I would think that I would opt for Pitts, but I, I really don't blame anybody that would take Waddle because I think he is more of what Miami needs. I just think that Pitts is the better football player. And, you know, there's a lot of – NFL teams that obviously are in need of a of a of a wideout threat, right? So now you take a look at Kadarius Tony, right? And you and you see how the end, how the mid of the first round draft shape shapes up. Teams are maybe in 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 need of that game changing wideout, like the ball the ball the Baltimore Ravens who did acquire Sammy Watkins. But do you somehow see Kadarius Tony falling in that first round range? I think he's more second round. I, I think that there is some smoke to him being somewhere late first round, but I just think that teams are going to worry and they do worry about one year wonders, quote unquote. Now he had some, he had some um, durability issues. He's also a little bit of whispers of some off the field stuff, but it's just one season of very good tape. 
and he's still developing as a wide receiver, as a route runner, because he was a high school quarterback that came in and they gave him the football in any way possible way they could, whether it's returning kicks, whether it's, you know, end arounds, whether it's jet sweeps, whether it's screens, like they used him in, in so many different variety of ways early on in his career and even in 2020. But the differences you saw with him from a, just a wide receiver perspective, from the, from the ability to attack leverage to see blind spots to run routes i think that the the upside is there for him i think that the the you know the the finger is pointing way up for him the beacon is pointing up i just think that at the end of the day in this deep wide receiver group even though he ran four three or whatever at the pro day had a had a dynamic day i i do think that second round is probably more his wheelhouse and you know uh to darius tony's strength and the quarterback that was throwing him that football a Heisman finalist, right? Kyle Trash. You know, the, the question right now is we pretty much know where Trevor Lawrence is going. You pretty much know with, with Sam, Sam Darnold getting traded yesterday, and we'll obviously get, get into that more later on in, in today's show. Where do you somehow see Kyle Trash falling? I, I know many, many people are basically taking off Trash's 2020 year and going, wow, he's a, he's a definite potential first-round talent. But then you take a look at his other pre- previous years, and like the tape may not really show that. So coming from from Ryan Roberts, right? Where do you see where do you see trash landing? I think it's going to be somewhere on day two. Um, I think that people took the great production early on. So they saw the frame and they're like, "That guy's going to go in the first round." Like, look at look at how he's playing. But it's it's just it it was never that opinion. In, in you know when we're talking about the league, I've talked to a couple of scouts that have second round grades on him, which is, you know, there's no problem with that at all. And he's got size at 6'4", 240 plus pounds. He's an accurate quarterback. He stays in rhythm pretty well. Doesn't have the strongest arm, not very athletic. So the question is like, how well does he mesh into the NFL style of offense that we're seeing now, which asks guys to be involved in the run game some, work out of structure, be able to be extenders. I don't think that he fits that mold very well. But I think that a team is going to draft him somewhere in the second or third round based simply upon the fact of we can depend on that guy. That guy, at worst, is a good backup quarterback and is probably going to play on our team for the next five plus years. Like that, we can kind of count on him. Do right. I think that he's going to be a starting quarterback early? Not necessarily, but I do. I did comp him to Nick Foles, which is, you know, Nick Foles has never been the guy where like people were, were, pounding the table and saying, this is our guy for the foreseeable future. We always want him to be our quarterback. He's always just kind of that bridge stopgap can come in and not hurt you. He can do some good things. He won a Super Bowl. Like he's not going to kill you, but I just don't think that he's ever going to be a long-term guy where people are super excited to have him as their quarterback. And if you take a look in, you know, recent memory, a lot of Florida cornerbacks have been drafted early. You know, even you can talk about day one. You can also talk about day two. So when you look at Marco Wilson and, you know, the most famous Marco Wilson moment for me would probably be his, his shoe throwing incident. It was, I remember that that was a Saturday night game against L. I was actually there for that. I thought that was probably what, you know, to, to cost your team a game on throwing a shoe, it doesn't get any better than that specific moment. I don't think that necessarily will affect his draft stock, but where exactly, you know, with his elusiveness and his cornerback play, where do you somehow see Marco Wilson falling? I know, you know, Sam and I talk about all the time, it's Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, Miami's two highest paid players. I don't really see them going anywhere. Now, if they want to maybe re- reconstruct one of their contracts, that would make a little more sense. I believe it's Xavier Howard getting paid 
roughly $80 million over a five-year span. But when you talk about Marco Wilson, right, where do you see his elusiveness? Where do you see his name maybe cracking up? Yeah, it's funny. After the issue incident on my on what, uh, the podcast that we do, um, you know, we were joking that, you know, oh, that's that's bad decision-making, you know? That, that's a symbol of bad decision-making, which is obviously a joke, right? Like, guy had a, a rough moment where he did something ill-advised in a bad moment, but it's not like he has off-the-field concerns. It's not like he's a bad kid. Like, he just made a right. dumb decision in a high-stress moment. Marco is a guy that, like, yeah, you mentioned it, right? Like, Florida has produced great cornerback play for as long as you can remember, going back to Janoris Jenkins and Joe Hayden and all those dudes. Like, they always put guys out. Marco, from an athletic perspective, a lot of people were really excited about him taking over for that C.J. Henderson role, right? Like, that, the best corner on the team. Everyone's excited because he jumped 43 and a half inches. He runs in the four threes. Like, it, he's got solid size. Like, everything looks good. It just never put it together. Like, it just, it, he just never took that step. So although he might be a day two talents, you know, athletically, I think he's going to be mid to late day three and somebody's going to take a gamble on him. But I don't, I don't think that he showed enough during the last two years on film to, to dictate anything higher than that because it just was very uneven, wasn't great. But athletically, you, you, can, you can kind of project forward and say, if we get the best moments of Marco Wilson – maybe at least a depth piece, maybe a starter down the road. Like there's some projection to him. I just don't think that the film is worthy enough of being anything more than a late round flyer. And, you know, b- uh, before I turn the page back, back, back over to Assam to talk about the Ohio State Pro Day, just real quick, yes or no, do you, in maybe in the next two, three years, do you see the Gators as a legit national title contender? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, I think what they got cooking over there is pretty good. I think they've kind of exceeded expectations under Dan Mullen so far, to be honest. So I think that they definitely can. Um, we'll see what Emory Jones has working for them for the next year or so. But I mean, the talent's always going to be in there in Florida. It's just about coaching and being able to get hot at the right time. Well, from Danesville, Florida, we moved to Columbus, Ohio, right? Usam? And I, <laughs> hey, and I know the top player who, who dominated this pro day, Probably going to be one of the, if not the first quarterback off off the board, probably the second or third, right? I think so. And, you know, Justin Fields, of course, was Ohio State's headliner on Tuesday. Now, Jacksonville pulls a stunner and picks up Justin Fields. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Everyone is going to be super, super surprised. But Fields was not the only one at Ohio State's Pro Day. There were 14 other Buckeye players whom the NFL designated as 2021 Combine Invites, which was – three more than any other school had. And I think Alabama had 11, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yep. 11. Now, besides Fields, who was the winner at the Buckeyes Pro Day, Ryan? Uh, a guy that I'm not like super high on, but a lot of people do like. Trey Sermon, I thought, had a really nice day. You know, he had like a 37-inch vert. He had a nice broad jump. His 40 wasn't great, but like I don't think anybody expected it to be phenomenal in any way, right? But I think that he really did well. I think he's that mid-round running back who, after the top three perceived running backs, like pick your poison a little bit, right? Like you're looking for more of a niche type of player. But I think that Trey Sermon did some incredible things for himself. I think both the linebackers did phenomenally for just flipping over the defensive side of the ball. Like Baron Browning, everybody knew he was a freak show, but it's nice to see it firsthand, see that 40-plus inch vert. And then Pete Werner for me, I mean – 
because I've been just racking my brain over the last few months because there's just this perception that Pete Werner is not athletic. And I just keep watching the film and I'm like, are, are we sure? Are we sure he's not athletic? Because, I mean, he played that same linebacker role in 2019, looked damn good. He's got loose hips. He looks athletic on film. He runs in the four sixes, has a 39 and a half inch vert, broad jumps well, short, uh, short shuttle and three cone. Everything checks out. So I think probably if I had to put the overall number one winner for me, it would probably be Pete Werner, but it was an impressive pro day, like you said, for a couple guys. Now, look, Werner didn't always get as much credit for his athleticism. And, you know, you've been touting this on Twitter and, and during your articles as well. You know, at Ohio State, he played well. And, you know, after his pro day, he should be getting that credit. Now, with the numbers he posted, 4.58 in the 40, 39 and a half inches at the vertical jump, 10-2 in the broad jump, and a 6.95 uh, on the three-cone drill. All of those numbers are well above the average for an NFL linebacker prospect, and he has a size at 6'3", 238 pounds. With the addition of Baron Browning, Tuff Borland, and uh, Justin Hilliard, and uh, along with other draftees such as Raekwon McMillian and Jerome Baker, is Ohio State turning into linebacker university? Well, I mean, my childhood would say it's still Penn State. We got (laughs) a a darn good one coming out this year, but I mean, if we're talking the last, like, three to four cycles. Like you can make a very good argument. I mean, we, you just said it. There is two guys that will probably be early day two picks in Baron Browning and Pete Werner. We have another guy in Justin Hilliard who just was hurt all the time, but is a good football player and probably be taken on day three, even though he's got so many injury concerns. And then tough Borland, who was a like three year captain or something. Right. So like there's this year's cornerback uh, linebacker class, is very good, and Ohio State obviously voids that a little bit with a couple of these guys. It's 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 been fantastic run of linebacker play for Ohio State. It it has been. Um, as we move over to the defensive line, Tommy Togai is the number four defensive tackle on my board. He put out forty reps on the bench press, and his athleticism is spectacular, coupled with his strength. What round and what team could pick him up? I think he's a day two guy as well. Um, I would say. If I had to pick second or third, I would say he's probably a third round pick just because I don't think that the interior defensive line class is great, but I don't think that it's going to be in a situation where people are going to reach necessarily, but I really like Tommy. I mean, like you said, the 40 reps on the bench, like he, if it's how things translate on the field to the testing, right. Or testing to the field, I should say. So he's a guy that gets incredible extension in the run game stacks and sheds blockers gets off makes plays and you're and in that situation with the style that he plays 40 reps on the bench makes sense because he presses guys all game it makes total sense and he tests as a better athlete now he didn't have a ton of pass rush uh, production this year at Ohio State I think all three of his sacks came in a single football game so it's about being a consistent pass rush threat but that wasn't really his role in the defense they had Haskell Garrett who's more of the three tack you know penetration style guy but I think Tommy's rock solid in what is an underwhelming interior defensive line class. And I, I think he's a good football player. I think so too. And now after um, our brief stay in Columbus, Ohio, we're going to your home team, the Notre Dame fighting yeah. Irish. Brandon, take it away. Yeah. So one of the players, you know, that, that Brian Kelly had great praise for is right. Is line is linebacker. You know, a lot of, a lot of people really don't know how to pronounce the name, but Jeremiah Owosu, Koromara is how I'll say. I don't really know if that's exactly how to how to pronounce it. Let's let's hope he doesn't hear it. But 
Ryan, let's say, you know, again, Miami was having two first-round picks. So now you take a look at really pick number 18 because if, if, if he somehow falls into that first-round category, it'll probably be a mid to late-round pick. So let's say, you know, Brian, Brian Flores really likes this guy because the Dolphins did give away Raekwon McMillan, and the Dolphins overall have a young line, linebacker group. Where do you exactly – where do you think he would fit necessarily in Brian Flores' defensive scheme? Well, I think he would fit really well. Jeremiah Wusukoromo. We could just call him Jock Brandon. I got you. Um, so, Jock is a former safety at Notre Dame, and he played Rover in their four-two-five system. Projects best as a linebacker because, I mean, it, he's a display Sam at, at the college level, and that's what he projects to best. He's a second-level defender. That's always what he was asked to do. Play some man-to-man coverage in the slot, but, like, that's – you know, he, you want him on the second level. You're not asking his guy to play on the roof. Like, that's just not what he's going to do. So – the question is, where does he fit? How does he fit? I, I think that people are going to kind of rack their brains and they're going to, you know, drive themselves crazy for me because I think most people are going to say he's a will for, because of his size, which, you know, makes sense. It makes sense. It, it does. The train of thought is, is valid and it, it, I understand it. I actually think that he's a little more comparable, at least stylistically, to Shaq Thompson that plays with the Carolina Panthers, who plays actually more of a undersized Sam role. For their, for their defense. He's out in space a ton because he was a former safety, like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is a former safety. So how does he fit with Miami? You got Benardrick McKinney, which I love that that deal, by the way. I thought that was a very solid move by Miami. You have him at Mike. You have Jerome Baker at will. And then, hey, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is your, your Sam on early downs. And then, you know, it doesn't matter. Take Jerome Baker off the field or take McKinney off the field. It doesn't matter. But you're going to leave Jeremiah Wusukoromoa on the field, all three downs, because he can affect the pass game at a high level. And he's a lot more physical than people would think. You know, it's, it's not just a 220, 225 pound former safety who can't, you know, can't strike and can't take on blocks like he can. It's not, obviously not going to be a strong suit because he's a little bit undersized, right. but like he has, he has no problem t- doing it. So I really do like the fit with, J- with Jock potentially. And I think what's really interesting about it, you know, the Dolphins, Remember, Vince Beagle missed pretty much the entire season last year. So it'll be interesting to see if the Dolphins do draft Jock. We'll see how he's able to, to plug in with Vince, Vince Beagle and Miami's other linebacker unit. Now, Aaron Banks of uh, Notre Dame, he had a 7-3-3 cone drill and was faster than DK Metcalf, uh, who had a 7-3-8. And he was close to Jalen Ragor's 7-3-1. I mean, admittedly, he's being slept on. And heading into this whole draft season, I consider him one of the best guards guards that I watched um, live on TV and, you know, grinding the tape um, after the season was done. Now, both Banks and Hainsey were at the Senior Bowl and were coached by uh, Coach Lim, and he was there at the Pro Day as well. And they spoke a few times. You miss out on Creed Humphrey. You miss out on Quinn Miners. Could Robert Hainsey play center for Miami? Yeah, yeah. No, I, so I went on a Notre Dame podcast after the after the Senior Bowl week. I think Robert Hainsey, if you ask me what Notre Dame player helped themselves the most down in Mobile, Robert Hainsey would be my answer because he was a guy that had only played right tackle his entire career. That's the only position he had ever played. And actually last year when Jared Patterson got hurt, <coughs> excuse me, when Jared Patterson got hurt, they actually toyed with moving him to center and bringing somebody else in to play right tackle, which, you know, for a four-year starter was kind of like, whoa, that's that's odd. That's different, right? But he has every measurable to win inside. He's very intelligent. 
four-year starter. Like I said, like there's so much to like about Robert Hainsey, and I think he's a rock-solid football player. I think that he can back up all three interior positions and right tackle in a pinch, which is so valuable, especially maybe on somewhere on day three. And if you told me three years from now he's a starting center in the NFL for a team, I, I would completely believe you. I think he's that good. And I want to, and I, I also want to bring up before we, you know, just basically go into just some recent NFL news. Liam Eichenberg, right? So he can be a, you know, plug and play guy on the right side of of the line. Could he be a starting left guard in the league heading into the year twenty twenty one? I think he can. So it was weird at their pro day. Brian Kelly had a quote where he said that he doesn't think Liam Eichenberg can play left tackle, which is like, oh, okay, <laughs> that wasn't too great for Liam, but. Um, yes, I think he's a rock. I, I compare him to Riley Reef, which Riley Reef has actually played left tackle, but like Riley Reef for me has just been rock steady, you know, stylistically for a long time. I don't think Liam's ever going to be a Pro Bowl level tackle. I don't think he's ever going to be one of the best in the league, but I think he can play right tackle. I think he could definitely play inside a guard because he's physical. He works up to the second level. Everything is just really solid about a guy like Liam Eikenberg. I just don't think there's anything spectacular on it, and which is when you look at Notre Dame's run of left tackles since 2009. They've had a guy, every single left tackle that has started from Notre Dame since 2009 has gone in the first round of the NFL draft. I think it ends this year with Liam, but I do think that Uckenberg is still a very solid football player. Now let's go around the NFL. Of course, the big question is, Mac Jones has been linked to the 49ers. However, in my opinion, it looks like it might be a smokescreen for Justin Fields. In your opinion, Ryan, who does John Lynch pick at number three? I want to, I mean, I, I honestly, I want to say it's Trey Lance, to be honest. I want to say it's North Dakota stage Trey Lance, but I, I think that there is some validity to this Mac Jones thing, which scares me. I would not do it. I, um, Neither would I. <laughs> I, I don't understand it to be honest. Like I, I just comparing the guys, like, I just, I can't fathom a world where you look at Mac Jones side by side with Justin Fields and Trey Lance and you pick Mac Jones. Like I, I just can't fathom it, but I do think that when Adam Schefter speaks, people listen. He's getting his, his information from the right spots. And it's been multiple reports now where he said today that he would be shocked, quote unquote, shocked if Mac Jones, not the guy. So I do think there's some smoke to the fire there. And unfortunately for San Francisco 49ers fans, it might be Mac Jones. Oof. We'll certainly see on draft night what will happen. Yep. Yeah. I think what really shocked me the most yesterday was Sam Darnold, which I, I honestly expected him to get traded. That's it. the whole situation with him and Adam and Adam Dace just wasn't really the, the domino. The dominoes weren't really falling right, right? But now you take into consideration now Darnold lands in Carolina with a new head with a young head coach who's going to be entering his second year in Matt Rule, a young offensive coordinator Joe Brady who was dominant at LSU. So do you do you think now with the recent rumors? Like Adam, Adam Schefter had said today that the Atlanta Falcons are reportedly would like to move out of the number four pick. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll, even if they do that, do you see them taking a, a quarterback? If the, uh, if the Atlanta Falcons trade back right. or, um, I, I mean, it depends who's there at that point. Like who are they trading back with? What, where is the spot? If they stay at four, I do think they're probably going to take a quarterback. Um, I'm not certain. Like it really depends on where the landing spot would be if they trade back. I think that we saw the move with the Carolina Panthers, you know, just kind of working off the Sam Darnold thing, right. Is, is the fact of they probably think that 
the four top quarterbacks would be gone. And I think they probably believe that the worst case scenario is Mac Jones is there at eight and they probably feel that Sam Darnold's an upgrade. So I think Atlanta is definitely in the quarterback market. It's just, we'll, we'll see if they stay or go. I, I think that's right. going to really depend on what the, what the uh, move is going to be for them. For the Miami Dolphins, who is the better prospect, Jamar Chase or Devonta Smith? Who is the better prospect? Uh, Jamar Chase is the better prospect. Who's the better fit, I think, is 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 the uh, real question. I think Devonta incorrect. Smith. Incorrect? It, wait, correct? Correct. You're right. Correct. I think so, too. All right. So, Devonta Smith is the quick separation guy, right? Like, he is a good route runner. He's going to create things very quick, which Tua is going to like. And then Tua has, obviously, the connection with Alabama. So, I think Devonta Smith is a maybe better fit. But if you ask me who's the better football player and who I would take, I would take Jamar Chase just because I think he is just a cut above, a tier above. Now, before we end this, I want to open up a discussion to you. And this was a, a, a quote by Kyle Shanahan in regards to Debo Samuel. There's not as much man-to-man, and it's a lot more fast tempo. You know, there are huge zones where the hashes are, and it's very hard to get good at route running. Um, when you have these guys that are very talented with the ball in the hands, you just give them, and they'll run it. Now, working on routes so much in the college is kind of a waste of a time, and they're just going against zone in college. You know, there's not a lot of man-to-man concepts. You just get them open in the zone, have them run, kind of like fast break basketball. Um, so in your opinion, is route running overrated in college? Is it overrated in college? I think there's three ways to create separation, which people don't talk about enough. I think you can create separation as an athlete. I think you can create separation as a route runner. And I think that you could also create separation in the air. People don't think that that's a skill, but being able to elevate and then create that late separation down the football field is a way of creating separation. So do I think it's overrated? No, I don't think it's overrated just because that's how some players win, right? Like if a guy is not a tremendous athlete. Maybe he's not the springiest athlete of all time. Like you can't project him to win in a couple other areas, but if he can run routes, then that's his way of creating separation. So I don't think it's underrated. I think that for everything, it's a case by case individual kind of study on on everything. But I do think that the element of route running is very important, especially if that's the way that you do create separation. And I think you see it this way in this year's um, draft class of wide receivers. What separates these elite wide receivers, such as Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Rashad Bateman, and even Terrace Marshall, is they have a polished route tree. Most of them have a polished route tree, and that's what I think separates them from the rest of the wide receiver pack. So certainly it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's going to be the first wide receiver taken off the board. Uh, Ryan, before we end this, tell us what you're up to today. Uh, not much, man. Not much. I, um, uh, the baby's out for a little bit. So I'm probably going to just try to crank out a couple of 2022 scouting reports and uh, maybe get an article ready. So, you know, not, nothing crazy today. Oh man, you're, you're already looking towards the future and 2022 hasn't even started yet. So I love that. I, I love to hear that. Brandon, thank you for being an awesome co-host. Ryan, thank yeah, you so Ryan, much. Thank you very much, buddy. This is the yeah, second absolutely. time. This is the second time you've run here and it's always, always a blast. And as always, Finn Maniacs listeners, thank you for tuning in. Fins up everybody.